What's better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere. You're listening to an audio teaching from Cross Connection Church Houston. We're a small church located in Pasadena, Texas, and it is our mission to save the lost, equip the saved, serve both the lost and saved, and to send the equipped. To this end, we teach through the Bible on a verse-by-verse basis, starting at the beginning of a book and working until the end. If you would like to learn more about our church, you can find us at connectedtojesus.org or check us out on Facebook at Cross Connection Church Houston. We pray that this teaching would grow you in the grace and love of Jesus Christ our Lord. fellowship with other believers we looked at in our relationship and families between you know husband and wife and between parent and child Uh, and this morning we're going to look at another area where Jesus's supremacy and sufficiency should be demonstrated in our lives and that is in our work in our job you know our work is one of the most important areas to demonstrate Jesus, to demonstrate the fact that he is sufficient, to demonstrate the fact that he is supreme in our life. And there are two main reasons for that. Uh, First, because this is the area of our life that we usually spend the majority of our time doing. It's been estimated that people spend about 150,000 hours of their lives either working, driving to work, or or preparing for work. I'm sure that most of us this week Spent more time at work than we did any time doing anything else. Uh, perhaps maybe sleeping might have beat that. But, you know, we put a lot of time and effort into work. And whenever you invest the majority of your time into something, that's a very important area that you need to demonstrate Jesus in. The second reason our work is an important place to demonstrate Jesus in our lives is because, you know, this is typically the area where we have the most influence on people who are not Christians. We don't influence non-Christians that often at church because we're surrounded by fellow Christians. It's at work that we usually have the biggest opportunity to be an example to, to be an influence upon those that have yet to come to a belief in Jesus Christ. Now, sadly for many Christians, at their work is a place that they don't demonstrate Jesus very well. That that is not something that's even a focus of their life. And the main reason for this, or at least one of the reasons, is because many Christians have bought into a very damaging lie concerning their work. And that lie is that work in church is sacred. But work outside of church, oh, well, that's secular. What I do as a pastor, or or what a a worship leader does, or what a a children's worker does, or or anything that's associated or connected to church, God sees that as sacred and spiritual, but anything outside of the church environment, any work that's done outside of the church, oh, that's just seen as secular. If you're a teacher, if you're a painter, if you're a lawyer, if you're a doctor, oh, that's not spiritual. Uh, that, that, that's not, you know, something that is sacred. It's just secular. But we need to understand that is what, not the way that God sees work. He doesn't make this division that says, okay, everything in, in church and connected to church and roles in church, well, that's sacred and spiritual, and, and then things outside of that are secular. No, God sees it all as spiritual. He sees it all as sacred. Your work is part of your worship to God, no matter where that takes place, 
If you're doing it inside the confines of a church, it's worship to God. If you're doing it outside of church, it's still worship to God. You know, I read of a pastor friend, uh, or pastor who had a friend who said that um, as he was pastoring for many, many years, he finally said, you know, it's time for me to take a break. And, and so he took a break for a year and he started painting houses. And people said, you know, when are you going to get back to doing the Lord's work? And his response was, I am doing the Lord's work. I'm painting houses for Jesus. There's not this mindset that I was doing the Lord's work as a pastor and now I'm no longer doing that because I'm not pastoring. I'm just doing it in a different way. I'm doing it in a different environment. I'm doing it as a painter. We need to see our jobs and the work that we do, whether it's in the church or outside of the church, as something that's sacred, as something that's spiritual, something that's an opportunity to obey Jesus to worship him, to bring him glory, and also to make an influence on those that don't know him. The verses we're going to look at this morning reveal that our work is very important to God, and there are specific things that he calls us to do. And so we're going to look at this, and we're going to hopefully learn some important lessons about bringing Jesus' supremacy and sufficiency to our workplace. Colossians chapter 3, verses 22 through chapter 4, verse 1 says this, Bondservants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. And whatever you do, do it heartily, as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. But he, does not, but he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, Give your bondservants what is just and fair, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. The two groups that Paul addresses here are two groups of Christians, Christians who are servants and Christians who are masters. Now, the Greek word here that we start with that's translated bondservants uh, here in the New King James Version, some of you with different versions of the Bible, you might have it translated as servants. Servants would be more accurate than bondservants because this, this Greek word um, is speaking about uh, someone who is an involuntary or a voluntarily bound to another in service. Uh, and so this is a general term of speaking of someone who's a slave, someone who's, you know, that would be an involuntary service, and then someone who's a servant who's, you know, volunteered for that. This Greek word is used 127 times in the New Testament, and 120 of those times it is translated in its general form, servant. But here, you know, the translators decided to do bondservant, which really wasn't uh, the best way to translate that because what Paul is speaking of here is to all those in this role. Now, bondservants would be included in that because bondservants were people who voluntarily chose to serve their master. But Paul's not just including bondservants. He's not just talking about those who voluntarily choose to serve your master. He's also talking about those who didn't volunteer for that. Those who were placed in that role, even though they didn't want to be, they were in servitude or slavery, but they didn't choose it. But he's saying, hey, both those groups, I'm writing to you. Now, something else important to understand is that in the Roman Empire at this time, Slavery was rampant, you know, nothing like we see today. It's estimated that over 60 million people were in slavery at this time. Actually, the city of Rome itself said that over half of the population were slaves. 
And that's kind of hard for us to comprehend, especially in America today. I mean, we know that slavery exists. There's slavery within you know, our borders as well, but nothing you know, like that. I mean, imagine if half of Houston, you know, people were slaves. Curtis Vaughn wrote this. More than half the people seen on the streets of the great cities of Rome, of the Roman world, were slaves. And this was the status of the majority of professional people, such as teachers and doctors, as well as the menials and craftsmen. I think another practical thing to understand when we talk about slavery at this time, especially in the Roman Empire that Paul was writing in, is that, you know what, when we think of slaves, we typically think of people who are doing the menial tasks that no one else wants to. You know, they're stuck with it because they're slaves and they got no choice in the matter and they're stuck with those jobs that no one else would want. Well, that was true. They did have those, but they also had many other jobs that were professional jobs. Slaves were doctors. Slaves were lawyers. They were teachers. You know, they were builders. And and so they weren't just those in these kind of menial, they don't have an education, they don't have any real purpose. No, pretty much everybody in the workforce were slaves. And so they all had all these different professional jobs like we do today. The only real difference between many of these people who were doctors and teachers and lawyers and construction workers and, you know, whatever, was the pay. (laughs) They got paid little to nothing. And so in comparison to us today, we get paid much more. Now, you might be thinking of your job and thinking, man, I can really relate to them because I don't feel like I get paid very much either. But the reason I bring this up is because, you know, What's being described here is very similar to the employee-employer relationship. The servant-master relationship that Paul is addressing is really comparable to the employee-employer relationship that we all have today. And so since none of us are in the role of slave or servant and, and none of us are in the role of being a master over someone else... What I'm going to focus on as we look at these roles and responsibilities that Paul shares with us, I want us to apply that to the employee or employer role, uh, whichever one that you kind of fall under, whatever responsibility that you have at work. And so the role and responsibility of the servant, that, that's going to be you know, to those of us who are in that kind of employee role and to the role and responsibility of the master, that will be to those who are in the uh, employer role. And so we're going to start here looking at the responsibility that God gives us to servants or employees. We're told, servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh. So the servant or employee role is given this role of responsibility of obedience. Now, last week we saw this as well because we looked at that child-parent role and the role of the child towards their parents was one of obedience as well. And we looked at that Greek word. It means to listen to, to hearken to a command, to do as you're told, to be obedient to. So as employees, our role, our responsibility towards our employer is one of obedience, to listen to them, to hearken the commands that they give, to do as we are told. 
Now, Paul shares with us the kind of obedience that he is speaking of because, you know, with lots of words like love and obedience and things, you know, we kind of like to define those for ourselves. We like to put the kind of limitations that we want to put on those things. And so I think it's great that Paul gives us kind of the parameters in which we need to understand obedience in this role and and what is required of us. And so he gives us six practical ways that we need to demonstrate this kind of obedience as employees to our employer. The first way that employees should uh, obey their employers is at the beginning of verse 22. It says, bond servants obey in all things your masters according to the flesh. So the first way that employees need to obey their employers, Paul says, is do it in all things. Now, as we looked at last week, children typically do not want to obey in all things. They want to only obey in the things that they want to obey. I'll obey if it's something I want, but if it's not something I want, I'm not going to do it. But you know what? These children that we all were, that we struggled with that kind of obedience, we grow up and we get jobs. And oftentimes, our mindset towards obedience doesn't really change much. We still have that mindset of, I only want to obey the things that I want to do. And if you're asking me to do something that I don't want to do, I'm not going to obey that. And so what Paul's bringing out, just like with children to their parents, employees to their employers that we don't just obey when we feel like it. That's not obedience. We don't get to pick and choose and say, oh, oh I like that, so I'll obey that. And, and I like that amount of hours, and, and I like that kind of you know, work or whatever it is. And so I'll obey those things. But whenever you ask me to work harder or longer or do something else, I'm not doing that. That's not obedience. Obedience only happens when we're truly willing to do all that we've asked to do. If I know my boss has told me to work hard, give it my all for eight hours in the day, and I say, eight hours, man, that's a long time. I'll give you five. I'm going to keep three to myself. You know, I'll just kind of slack off, be a little lazy on those three. I'll just give you partial obedience. Or, you know what, I'm only supposed to get a 30-minute lunch break, but I feel like I deserve an hour. I mean, come on, I'm a hard worker. So I'm going to take 30 extra minutes, and I'm just going to do that instead of obeying what I've been told to do. I know I'm supposed to be at work on time, but I don't like it up early. So I'll just come in when I'm ready, and then I'll just start working whenever I show up. And our role and responsibility as employees, notice we're commanded by God to obey in all things what our employer asks of us. Now, as we looked at the child role, there's one important exception to this. Whenever we hear those things in all things, we kind of think, what? You know, no matter what they ask me, I got to obey. Well, there is an exception, just like there's an exception in the child role to their parents. There's an exception in the employee role to the employer. And that exception is if your employer asks you to do something sinful, to do something that goes against what God says you should do, well, then you should not obey that. You should not obey an employer if they're telling you to do something that is sinful. For example, if your employer asks you to lie to a customer, you should not obey that request. You know, one of my first jobs was working in Walmart in their automotive department, and I did oil changes, and I did, you know, tire rotations and tire changes and tire repairs. And we got a new manager, and he wanted to have us upsell everything. But he came to us as employees and he said, you know what, if you see anyone, and it was typically, you know, girls was his kind of target, that, that they don't look like they know anything about cars, 
I want you to tell them they need new air filters, they need new tires, they need everything. I don't care. Tell them they need it, whether they need it or not. He ultimately is telling us, lie to these people so that we can make more money. He was asking us to do something sinful. Now, as a Christian, that's not something I should obey because he's asking me to do something that goes against what God says, which is tell the truth. Well, a little while after that, we had a lady come in, and she had a nail right in the middle of her tire, something that can be easily repaired, and our repair fee was $4.50. A new tire was like 70 bucks. And so she asked, do I need a new tire, or can you guys repair this? And so he comes to me, and he says, tell her she needs a new tire. And I was like, well, we can repair that. It's right in the middle. It's an easy repair. No, I want to make money off this. So now he's asking me to lie to this woman. And I chose to tell her, yeah, we can repair it. It'll be $4.50. I'll do that for you right now. I repaired it. He found out. He wasn't happy. This guy ended up actually getting fired not long after that because he kept finding out that he was telling his employees to lie. But ultimately, even if I were to lose my job for that, better to obey God than to obey an employer who is telling us to lie. So that is the exception to the rule. Now, if he said, I want you to clean the shop, I can't say, well, I don't want to clean the shop. Tough. He's not asking me to sin. He's asking me to do something that's part of my responsibility, and so I need to obey that. But if he's asking me to rip people off and to lie to people, then that's something that I shouldn't obey. So the first way that employees should obey their employers is obey in all things except when you're being asked to sin. The second way that employees should obey their employers is in the middle of verse 22. Notice we're told, not with eye service as men pleasers. This Greek word translated eye service means service performed only under the master's eyes. But when the master couldn't see, you wouldn't obey any longer. Yeah, this is something that we see a lot. If the boss is around, oh, oh I, I serve and I obey and I work hard when he can see me, when he can see what I'm doing. But when they can't see me, when they're not in the room with me or they're not there, well, then I don't obey. I only do it when I'm being watched. Not with eye service as Men pleasers, this word translated men pleasers means someone who's just seeking to please people. So Paul's saying when it comes to our obedience to our employers, don't just obey when they're watching. Don't just obey because you want to please them. Don't just work hard when they're watching you. You know, most people don't like it when their boss is there with them in the room or watching them or hovering over them. And part of the reason for that, I'm sure there's different things, but one of those is just like, you know, I feel like I have to do everything super well and everything super hard, and there's this aspect of like, I can't relax, I can't slack off, I can't be lazy, I just got to, they're watching me, I got to do everything just right. And is that necessarily a bad thing, that I'm in a place where I say, oh, I got to do everything the right way, I got to do everything with a good attitude, I got to do everything with hard work? But sadly, we don't like it oftentimes when our boss is there because we're lazy and we want to get away with not working hard. You know, my very first job full-time was working at a Chevron gas station. 
And I didn't have too many responsibilities. I, I did full serve, which seems like we don't really have that much anymore. Rich people come in, you know, they don't want to pump their own gas. You pump it for them. You check their fluids. You check the air temp, uh, pressure in their tires. You wash their window. Uh, and they pay like $5 more a gallon. It's ridiculous. But so I did that. You know, I, you know, fixed tires and I pumped pro t propane tanks. So, uh, and I cleaned the garage. That was my first full-time job. Wasn't much. Uh, I did half that work. And then there was another guy with the same role who did that, you know, at the other shift that I wasn't working. And we had this boss and she was a heavy smoker and she would just sit in her office and it would just be like this cloud of smoke in there. And, and no one really liked when she was there because she would just hover and she would watch. And then all of a sudden she was gone. Didn't show up. Thought, you know, did she die of lung cancer or what? You know, she just wasn't there anymore and didn't come in day after day. And I started noticing when I show up for work, the shop that used to be clean because the other guy had to clean and I had to clean, I'd come up, you know, and it would have been clean that night as he closed. It was super filthy, tires everywhere, nothing had to be done. So I had to clean up for him and then keep it clean through the day and then clean up at the end of my shift as well. And that went on for like a month, just realizing this guy's not doing anything not really noting the fact, well, the boss isn't here. And so he figures like, hey, I don't have to do anything at all. All of a sudden, a month goes by, she shows up and she says, Matthew, I want you to come into my office. So I come to this smoke-filled, nasty place and there's a, a TV in there and she puts in, you know, this is back in the day, a little, you know, videotape. And on the videotape is the other guy who I work, you know, uh, on a different shift to just sitting there sitting in this pile of tires, doing nothing all day. What we didn't know is that she installed cameras in the shop. That's why she didn't come back in, because she could watch what we were doing. And this guy didn't know that. And so he didn't do anything all day because she wasn't there. And then she shows me. And I'm working, even though she's not watching. Well, I got more hours and I got a pay raise, and he got fired that day. Uh, and you know, But the reality was he only worked hard when... The boss was watching. He only did it to please the employer. And that's what Paul's saying is, don't let that be the only reason you do this. Ultimately, we need to be God-pleasers, not men-pleasers, to recognize I'm doing this for a bigger reason. I'm here to please God, not my employer. That, I mean, it's good that they're pleased with my work, but, but I have someone even greater than them that I'm seeking to please, someone that's watching. You know, the reality is you got a hidden camera at your work. Not that your boss has installed it, but that God is watching you. He sees what you're doing. You might think, hey, no one's watching. I can slack off and be lazy. No, that's not true. God sees. He sees when you slack. He sees when you're being lazy. He sees when you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. And that should be one of the motivations for working hard and doing what we're told to do. Warren Rearsby wrote this. Confidential surveys reveal that the average American worker goofs off seven hours per week a de facto four-day week. The same survey reveals that one half of all American workers admit to calling in sick when they're not, and that only one out of four give their best effort at work. Since as Christians we work for the Lord, we should attack our work with zeal instead of dawdling over it and figuring out how little we can do and still get by, which is theft. We should cultivate being prompt and hardworking whether the boss is watching or not. We should pursue quality in our work. You know, Christians should be known for being the hardest workers, the most dependable workers, the ones that always do the job no matter who's watching or not, because we have such a greater motivation than those who aren't Christians, because we have 
God. He's watching. He should be the one that we ultimately do these things for because we know that he sees us. So the second way that employees should obey their employer is obey because God is watching you and you want to please him. The third way that we're told to obey our employers is in the middle of verse 22. It says, in sincerity of heart. This Greek word translated sincerity is a very interesting word. It means without deceit, pretense, or hypocrisy. Something that is truthful, straightforward, and honest. This word also spoke of being the same inwardly as you are outwardly, which is the opposite of hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is trying to be something outwardly that you're not. You're trying to put on this show that here I am when really that's not the truth of what you are or how you feel. And so Paul's saying, don't pretend to be obedient outwardly when in your heart you're really disobedient. You see, there are kind of two kinds of of obedience. There's that outward obedience, and then there's inward obedience. There's outward obedience that isn't connected to the, the heart, to how you really feel. It's more of just a show. And then there's inward obedience that stems from the heart, That's really how you feel. That's really from, you know, the the desires of your heart. And it then projects itself outwardly. So both of them look the same way. You're obeying in both areas, but one is more hypocritical. One is a demonstration of something that you don't really feel that's not really in your heart. And the other is a demonstration of something that's truly coming in sincerity of heart. You know, we, we struggle with this. We struggle with this in a lot of different areas. I know when I was younger, my brother and I would get in fights. My parents would force us to apologize to one another. And there were times that I wasn't sorry. But I knew if I didn't say sorry that I was going to get spanked even more. And so to avoid more consequences and punishments, I would say, sorry. But really, I wasn't in my heart sorry. I wanted to punch him in the face, but the reality was I wasn't going to do that or say that. I was going to say what I went, they wanted to hear. And so there was an outward display of obedience, but it surely wasn't from the sincerity of my heart. So when you're at work, it's not good enough to just be obedient outwardly. Just so the boss can see or just so other people can see. God says, no, no, I want it to go deeper than that. I want your obedience to come from inward, from your heart, to be sincere. Now, that could be really hard to actually sincerely want to obey because the reality is some of us have great bosses, but many of us have horrible bosses. They're jerks. They're hard to work with. And so to have that sincerity of heart that says, I'm going to obey what you tell me to do you know, from that place, That can be hard. And this is why what Paul's telling us is so important because, hey, you know what? It's not about the boss. I'm not doing it for them. Whether they're good or bad is irrelevant because I have a boss that's greater than them. And that's the one that I'm ultimately doing it for. So if I got a jerk as an earthly boss, that's okay because I got a wonderful heavenly boss. And so I'm doing it unto him. And because I can do it unto him, gives me this ability to do it in sincerity of heart because it's not like, well, this guy's a jerk and I'm just doing it as an outward show and and my heart is fighting against this. No, I'm doing this unto Jesus. And it's irrelevant whether my boss is good or not. I can do it in sincerity of heart because of who I'm doing it for. I'm doing it for the Lord. 
So the third way that employees should obey their employers is obey in sincerity of heart because you are ultimately obeying unto the Lord. The fourth way that Paul gives us for why employees should obey employers is at the end of verse 22, we're told, fearing God. You know, this Greek word translated fearing here is not some shaking or quaking in your boots kind of fear. Yeah, that's kind of often when we think of that, especially in connection with God of, you know, I'm just so scared he's going to strike me down. And, and you know, that's, a, that's a kind of the concept that many people have when they associate fear and God together. But that's not what this Greek word is speaking about. It's not speaking of this shaking fear. The word speaks of a reverential awe of God. It's a sense of fear of, of displeasing him. You know, kind of like, you know, with my father... I had a fear of my dad, and it wasn't like, oh my goodness, he's going to beat me fear. It was, I don't want to displease him. It was a reverential fear, and that's the kind of fear we have or should have for God, this fear that says, hey, I don't want to displease you, but I also know this. I'm going to stand before you, and I'm going to have to give an account for the way in which I worked. That's something that's going to be a reality for me as a Christian. I'm going to stand before God. I'm not just going to stand before my boss who might say, you know what, tell me about your week. What did you do with the 40 hours or 50 hours or whatever was required of you? There's going to be someone else I'm going to have to be accountable to. And that's God. And he's going to say, what did you do with the time that I gave you in that job? How did you work? What kind of attitude did you have? What kind of effort did you give? That's the kind of fear that we should really have. Proverbs 9.10 tells us, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You know, so often people will come to me and, Oh, I just want to grow in wisdom, and, and what do I got to do? And, you know, this is one of those areas where it's <laughs> the starting point. You want to truly be wise? It starts with this reverential fear of God. It starts with this desire to say, I want to please God. I'm going to stand before God one day. He is going to judge me for the way in which I've lived my life, and I want to please Him. And I have this fear, this reverential fear, which brings wisdom to me because now I live differently. You know, wisdom is, is ultimately the, the ability to practically apply knowledge. I can know lots of things, but be too stupid to actually do them. But that fear of God tells me, no, I'm going to do it this way. I'm going to do it God's way because I want to please him. What Paul's sharing here is really what should motivate our obedience to our employer. You know, for many Christians, sadly, what motivates obedience to employers are the repercussions that employers might bring on you if you don't obey them. The greatest being you lose your job. Maybe you don't get that promotion. You don't get that pay raise. There's lots of ways that employers can, you know, make life more miserable, that can, you know, rob us of things that we want. And so there's a fear of saying, you know what, I'm just going to obey because I don't want repercussions from them. What Paul is saying is, you know what, there should be a much deeper fear a much deeper reason for why you're obedient. And it shouldn't just be because you might lose a job or might not get a pay raise or might not get a promotion. It should be because I have a fear of God. I want to do this ultimately before Him because maybe I can outwardly do stuff that gets me that pay raise, that gets me that promotion, that gets me that pat on the back, but not before God. 
Because he sees my heart. He sees what's really going on. And so I should look ultimately to, hey, that fear of God should be what motivates me to do what's right. The fourth way that employees should obey their employer is obey because you fear God. The fifth way that we should obey our employers is in verse 23. It says this, And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. Yeah, this is a great verse, period. I mean, it goes great with the context here of our work, but it really encompasses everything because notice the statement, whatever you do, doesn't matter what it is. Doesn't matter how important you think it is. It doesn't matter whether it's brain surgery or picking up garbage. Whatever it is you do, notice what we're told. Do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. You know, the Greek word here translated heartily means that in which there is life, feelings, desires, and affections. What this word is speaking of is doing it with all that you possess, with all that you are. Do it to the best of your ability. And Paul once again tells us why. What should motivate me to do anything to the best of my ability? What should motivate me to give my all to whatever it is that I'm doing? Paul says, do it as to the Lord and not to men. We should do things to the best of our ability. We should do things and give it our all. Why? Because we ultimately are doing it, should be, unto the Lord, not to people. It's not for the boss. It's not for the pat on the back. It's not for some individual. I have a higher calling, a bigger purpose, something that should motivate me even more, and that is I'm doing it for Jesus. That's why I give it my all. Now, oftentimes, what motivates us to give it our all has really little to nothing to do with our relationship with Jesus. We give it our all because when we do, we get paid. Maybe we get paid even better. We give it our all because then the boss gives us a little uh, show of appreciation. We give it our all because we love what we do. Now, the problem with those things being the reason for why we give our all, being the reason for why we do everything to the best of our ability, is because when those things are gone, usually we stop giving our all. When the paycheck's no longer coming, when the appreciation's no longer shown, when the love for the work is no longer there, the reason and motivation that I once had to give all my all is gone. And so now it's like, well... I'll give a little. You're not paying me enough to give my all. You're not paying me enough to give everything. You don't show me enough appreciation for me to give everything I got. I don't love this job enough to invest everything I got. That's kind of where we come. Instead of, you know what, none of those reasons are the reasons and motivation for why. I do it for a greater reason. And so whether you pay me well or not, whether you appreciate me or not, whether I love or hate this job doesn't matter. Because I'm not doing it for any of those reasons. I'm doing it unto Jesus. I'm doing it because he commands me to do it. Martin Luther King Jr. captured the heart of this truth when he said this. If a man is called to be a street sweeper, he should sweep streets even as Michelangelo painted. 
or Beethoven composed music, or Shakespeare wrote poetry. He should sweep streets so well that the hosts of heaven will pause to say, here lived a great street sweeper who did his job well. No matter what we're doing, even if it's just sweeping streets where you think this is mundane, this isn't important, the command that we're given is do it all for the Lord. Give it your all. Give it your best. Because God is watching. And He's the one that we ultimately should be doing it for. So the fifth way that employees should obey their employers is obey by giving your all and doing your best as unto the Lord. The sixth way that Paul tells us to obey our employer is in verses 24 and 25. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. But he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done, and there is no partiality. In these verses, Paul shares with us one of the most important truths of all for why you and I should show obedience to our earthly boss, show obedience to our earthly employer. And that reason is that we ultimately have a greater boss, a greater employer. We are servants of Jesus. Jesus is our master. You know, we typically think of our boss or employer as the one who pays for us to do our work. You're my employer because you give me my paycheck. You're the one who gives me and sends me home with money, and so now I put you into this role of you are my boss, you are my employer. But notice that Paul says, from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. Paul wants us to understand something very important. Not only do you serve the Lord, not only is that ultimately your boss, ultimately your master, but also he's the one who will reward you. So if you're looking at, well, my boss is the one who pays me. My boss is the one who rewards me. Well, well, remember this. Jesus is the one who rewards his servants. But Paul tells us something else that's important to know. It sounds great. Yeah, Jesus rewards his servants. What a wonderful motivation to serve him. Well, it should be. But there's also kind of a a negative side of this that should be a motivator as well. Paul also tells us, but he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done, and there is no partiality. So not only does God reward servants who do what's right, he repays servants who do what's wrong. Repaying meaning that he is going to punish, meaning that he's going to give to them what they deserve in a negative way. Just like he's going to give to them the reward that they deserve for their obedience, for their hard work, for their giving of their all, he's going to repay to them what they deserve for their lack of obedience, for their lack of hard work, for not doing what he's called them to do. So if you're not getting paid what you feel you're worth, that shouldn't change your obedience. That shouldn't change how hard you work because Jesus is going to reward you. I think, man, this job doesn't give me what I'm worth. I put so much time and so much effort. That might be very true. You might be worth way more than what they give to you. They might need to show you lots more of appreciation and they might never do it. But here's the thing, God appreciates you. God will reward you. And I'm not saying that, you know, your paycheck's going to come and all of a sudden it's going to miraculously be double than it was the week before. That God's rewards oftentimes are 
eternal in heaven. And sometimes they are here on this earth as well, but not necessarily in the form of money. But he will reward you. He will bless you for being faithful to him at your job, doing what he calls you to do. But he's also on the other side of the coin saying, hey, I got away with this. My boss doesn't know that I slack all week long and he still paid me for all that work I didn't do. I'm getting from him a reward when I don't deserve it. You're not fooling God. He sees what's going on. And those blessings that you would have received from him from doing what he told you to do, well, now he's going to repay you based on what you didn't do. A boss asked his employee, do you believe in life after death? Yes, sir, the employee replied. Well, that's good to know. Because after you left early yesterday to go to your grandma's funeral, she stopped in to see you. So here's a guy who got out of work with a lie. And she said, I got to go to my grandma's funeral. She's dead. And she shows up to see him. And he's caught in his lie. He's caught trying to get out of work. But something we need to understand is, you know what? It's possible for us to defraud our employer, to take advantage of our employer without getting caught. I'm sure all of us have been successful in doing that. All of us have, you know, skimmed. All of us haven't worked hard. All of us have, you know, taken longer breaks, whatever it may be, and we've got away with it. It's definitely possible and very common for us to do things that our earthly employer will never see, will never know, will never catch us in. But here's the thing, what Paul wants us to see. We'll never get away with it when it comes to God. I might think, well, this guy's never here. He never sees. He doesn't know. I can slack all I want. But here's the reality. God sees. God knows. And God's going to deal with me if I'm just going to slack and not do anything as a follower of him. Something else that we're told that's important to note is that God shows no partiality. You know, I'm sure that Probably all of us have worked for employers who have showed partiality. Family and friends get promotions, get jobs when they're not qualified, when they don't deserve. People who are just brown nosers, who just show up and do things uh, in the sense of like only when the boss sees they get these promotions and everyone knows they don't do anything any other time. And we just see that this is, there's a partiality problem here. There's people getting favoritism that don't deserve it. There are people getting things given to them that they don't deserve it. And then hard workers get penalized or left unrewarded. That's a reality. It's a reality of the workplace that we live in, and it can be frustrating. It can be frustrating being there and thinking, you know what, I'm never going to get a pay raise because I'm not this person's relative. Or I'm never going to get a promotion because I don't have this kind of inroad or connection or I'm not their favorite or, or I don't bring them some cookies or whatever it is that has to happen in order for me to move into this different, you know, relationship. And it can be really hard to give your all in an environment where you feel like you're treated unfairly, where you feel like the boss is very partial. But why should I obey that person? Well, why should I give it all for, for that type of employer? But we think that we need to understand is God is our ultimate boss, and he doesn't show partiality. He doesn't have favorites. He treats everyone equally based on whether they're obedient to what he says or not. 
That's it. All people are, are dealt with in the same way. He is completely partial in the sense of no favorites. He rewards those who work hard, and he punishes those who don't, no matter who they are. So the reality is the ultimate motivation for our hard work, for our obedience, for giving it our all. When we go to work, we need to understand, my boss is Jesus. That's where it ultimately is. I approach that as I come to work. That's who my boss ultimately is. And I'm going to obey. I'm going to give it my all. I'm going to work hard. I'm going to do it because I'm doing it unto Jesus, who is my ultimate master. Howard Hendricks, a professor at Dallas Theological Seminary, he did a lot of traveling because he was a speaker and went all around the United States and world and doing that. And American Airlines was the airline that he flew, and so they decided to make him kind of an undercover inspectigator. Uh, he would just kind of be on you know, these flights, and they say, could you write a critique for you know, how our staff is doing, how the stewardesses are doing, you know, how, how you've been treated. And you know, since he flew so much, he, he would do that, and he would give it to the management of American Airlines, and they would kind of take note of his thoughts. And he tells a story of one particular difficult flight where it's filled with turbulence, fastened seatbelt signs are on most of the time, people aren't allowed to get up, there's drunken businessmen, there's lots of crying babies. But he said, throughout the whole flight, nothing stopped this one stewardess from smiling and serving politely. And so at the end of the flight, he comes up to this lady and says, you know what? I'm called to here and now to, to, to write to American Airlines and to share my experience, and I am going to write about how great a job that you did. And she replied, but Mr. Hendricks, I don't work for American Airlines. Seeing how puzzled his face was when he, she made that statement, she continued, I work for Jesus. Here's a woman who understood this truth. You know what, even though there's drunken businessmen and turbulence and, and crying babies and this is maybe a miserable environment to work in, I am going to do it with a smile on my face. I'm going to do it to the best of my abilities, not because American Airlines pays me what I'm worth, not because this job is great. No, because I work for Jesus. So the sixth way that employees should obey their employers is obey because you serve God and he will reward and punish you without partiality. Now, if you haven't noticed yet, it's probably because you haven't been really paying attention, but every reason Paul gives us for why we should obey our employers, notice it is connected to God, connected to our relationship with God. See, that's the thing that really is the motivator. The fact that we have this relationship with God, the fact that he's the one who commands us to do these things, that he is our master. That's the reason, that's the motivation, that's why we should obey, why we should give our all, why we should do the things that we're being called to do as employees to our employer. What you do in your job is sacred to God. It's an act of worship to him. And because of that, we need to do what God commands us to do and give him our all at work. So Paul now starts, he gives lots of reasons and how we should obey as employees to our employers. And in the first verse of chapter 4, 
He also has a challenge for those in that master role, for those in that employer role. Let's see what he has to say. Masters, give your bondservants what is just and fair, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. So Paul has just one command for those in the master role, for those who are in that employer type of role, but it's a very important command. And the command is this, give your servants what is just and fair. So if you are in that employer, in that boss role, you have people who are under your authority that you oversee, then what God is saying to you is, here is what I command of you, that you would treat them in a way that is just, in a way that is fair. Give to them what is just and give to them what is fair. Now, this Greek word translated just means to give each person what they deserve, And the Greek word translated fair means to show equality and do not be partial. So Paul's challenge to employers is, hey, give your employees what they deserve and show them equality. Here's the problem. When people are in a position of authority and power, they often have a tendency to abuse those under their authority, those under their authority power. And one of the ways that they abuse their authority and power is by not treating those who are under their authority and power in a fair and just way. They're not giving those people what they deserve. They do not treat them with equality as they should. A secretary, a paralegal, and a partner in a big law firm were walking through a park on their way to lunch, and they found an antique oil lamp They rub it, and as you can suspect, a genie comes out. The genie says, I usually only grant three wishes, so I'm just going to give each one of you one. The secretary says, me first, me first. I want to be in the Bahamas driving a speedboat without a care in the world. Poof, she's gone. The paralegal says, I want to be in Hawaii relaxing on the beach with my personal masseuse, an endless supply of exotic foods and the love of my life. Poof, he's gone. The boss said, I want those two back in the office right now. (laughs) And poof, they're back in the office. Sadly, we have bosses like this. They could care less about our happiness. They could care less about us. They're just jerks. And it's hard to work for people like that. It's hard to do these things for people like that. And what God's saying, if you're in that role, don't be that guy. Treat people justly. Treat people fairly who you are over, who you have authority and power over. But he gives a reason, just like he gave many reasons for the employee. He says, I got a reason for you employers to do this. Here's the motivation. Here's why. Notice what he says. Knowing that you also have a master in heaven. You know, something very important for every master or uh, employer on this earth to understand is that they have a master in heaven that they are accountable to. It can be easy for a boss to think that they're not accountable to anyone. You know, I'm the CEO or I'm the head of this. You guys are under me. I'm not accountable to anyone. I can do what I want to do. And that kind of thinking leads to doing what they want to do and mistreating the people that they have authority and power over. And so, Paul wants them to understand, no, 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 no. You are accountable. You are accountable to your master in heaven. 
You might be on this earth the head of your you know, job or the head of your company, but guess what? There's a head far greater than you that you're going to answer to, that you're accountable to, that you're responsible to. You know, with every role of authority that God gives, whether it's the role that we've already looked at of a husband in the home or of a father in the home or parents over their children or here as we see an employer over their employee, every role of authority that God gives, we need to understand He gives it and there is a huge responsibility and accountability to God within that. Never see your role of authority as now I get to do what I want because I'm the, the top dog. We need to see our role that we are responsible and accountable to do what God wants. I'm not in this role of authority to do what I want. I'm in this role of authority to be responsible and accountable to God and do what he has me to do. And when I lose sight of that, I lose sight of the reality that I am going to stand before God. I'm going to have to be the one that says, hey, what did I do with this great authority I was given? What did I do with this role that I was given, with this power I was given over other people? Did I treat them justly? Did I treat them fairly? Or did I abuse that role and I abuse those people? In Ephesians chapter 6, Paul also speaks about masters and servant role. And he says this in verse 9. And you masters do the same things to them, giving up threatening, knowing that your own master also is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. Notice that we see here this same statement that we saw connected with the employee-servant role. There is no partiality with God. That was important for anybody who's in that employee role to recognize that God deals with people without showing partiality. But you know what? I think the group that needs to hear that the most are those in this authoritative, power, boss, employer role. Because they are the ones who often think they're more important. I'm in this role, I'm more important than those that are under me, and therefore I should be demonstrated, you know, given favoritism, that people should be partial to me. I mean, I'm the CEO, or I'm this or that. There's this self-inflated, you know, idea of their own worth, and they can also often fall into this lie that, hey, people should be partial to me. But what they need to realize is God doesn't show partiality. He doesn't care if you're the boss or not. If you don't do what he says, he'll deal with you just like he will with any of the employees. But on the other side, if you do what you are supposed to do, he will reward you just like he'll reward anyone who does what he says they should do. So if you're a boss and in a position of authority over others, make sure you understand you're accountable, you're answerable to God for how you treat those under your authority. Maybe you should ask yourself this question. How do you want God, who is your authority, to treat you? How do you want to be dealt with? Do you want God to deal with you justly? Do you want God to deal with you fairly? Do you want God to not show partiality and favoritism to someone else as opposed to you? I'm sure all of us would say, yes, I would like God to to treat me that way. Well, then treat those that God has given you authority over in the same way that you want God to treat you since he is authority in your life. So the way that employers should treat their employees is treat them justly and fairly, knowing that you are accountable to your heavenly master.
You know, for some of you right now, if you were real honest and I asked you about your job, you would say, I hate my job. Let's just be real. This job's horrible. I hate it. I hate my boss too. I, I hate everything about my job, or maybe you're just displeased in some way, shape, or form. But you know what? I want to give you this challenge. I think one of the reasons, and I'm sure there's a myriad of reasons for why you might really dislike your job, but one of those reasons, I believe, is maybe you're not putting these principles into practice. Because you know what? If you would approach your job as a place to worship God, as a place to obey God, as a place where you can be a witness for God and bring glory to God, I think that would revolutionize how you view your job, revolutionize how you work at work. No matter what job you have, no matter how menial it is, no matter how important it is, no matter how much you get paid, no matter if you get paid nothing at all because you're a volunteer or a stay-at-home mom, whatever job you have, we're told, do it to the best of our ability, giving our all unto the Lord. Treating people over you with obedience and treating people under you fairly and justly. But you know what? If we'll do that, man, that will revolutionize our perspective on our job. I'm going to a place where God's my boss. I'm going to a place to worship him. I'm going to a place to obey him. And it might not be the most enjoyable environment. I might not be around the best people in the world, but that's irrelevant. I'm not going to hate it because it's an outlet that God has given me to bring glory to him, to worship him, to show obedience to him. And I'm going to do it unto him. And I can guarantee you, if that is your focus and that is your mindset towards your job, it will revolutionize the way you see it, how hard you work at it, and it'll bring you more joy within it. It's not pleasant to go to a job that you have this hatred towards. And every day I'm, I'm going my nine to five or whatever your work day is. And man, I just can't wait to get home. I can't wait to get out of here. I can't wait to get away from these people. That's a miserable existence. But it doesn't have to be that way. We often make that choice to hate that because we see it not really for what it is. As my place to worship God, as my place to obey Him, as my place to reach out to all these people that I might really not like to be around because maybe they're these ungodly, horrible, whatever, hey, I get to be a witness to them. I get to be a light to them. I get to share Christ with them. I should be focused more on that than, you know, whatever things that they're saying or jokes that they're telling or, or issues that they might have that I don't, I don't want to hear. That I recognize what a privilege I have that I even can work, that God gives me the strength to do it, that I actually am employed. Your job is part of the ministry God has given to you. That could be within the confines of a church and that could be without the church but it's both sacred and spiritual regardless of where it is, and it should be done unto the Lord. Let's pray.